Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. <sighs> Pretty Scary Boo. Boo indeed. Yeah, this is a Nikki one. This is this is this is a rough episode. I I can tell you that already and we are just getting started because uh we're talking about a Talking about a pretty wild story today that had it happened at a different point in history, I think would have been a bigger story nationwide. But even in L.A., like, does it seem like this was a huge story in L.A.? In June of 2020? Yeah, I mean, see, that's the thing. I don't know. It, it gave me, like, context, you know. I, I'm i glad we're covering it. Um it's a sad, upsetting story. Um, but I just think that truly like at this time, everybody was just so overwhelmed. I, I, yeah. I don't know. There were, I mean, like there were so many stories like this coming out at once also like, yeah, we're, we're covering a police shooting, the murder of Andres Guardado, which happened in Gardena in which is a basically Los Angeles. It happened June 18th, 2020, which is less than a month after the George Floyd murder. So- and I, I know all of you were wondering, but Gardena is almost exactly between where Adam and I live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Midpoint. Like exact midpoint. And Gardena is just to kind of give everybody an idea. Gardena is part of what the medical community calls the cancer corridor. It is a very uh, impoverished area in uh, Los Angeles County, right along the port, basically. So Wilmington wraps around the port and Gardena is like right behind that. And it's rough. It's a rough place to be. It's literally the kind of place where there isn't grass. Yeah. (laughs) The whole South Bay area is basically concrete. It's really weird. And then Palos Verdes is like scary eyes wide shut bunny. I don't even know. That yeah. place creeps me out. It's beautiful, but I don't want to go anywhere near it. It freaks me out. So, yeah, this happened very close to where Caitlin and I live. And like Caitlin said, there were just so many stories coming out around this time that at the time it was sort of like, oh, the L.A. Sheriff's Department shot an unarmed brown person. Not surprising because, the, again, it was the George Floyd murder had happened and we were just being inundated with videos of police killing unarmed people. Yeah. I also, can I ask a vulnerable and somewhat dangerous question? Okay. Okay. Is this because he wasn't black? No, no. Okay. I think the reason this shooting didn't get the same attention is there isn't video of the actual shooting because the LA Sheriff's Department swooped in and destroyed all the cameras and confiscated all the video. Yeah, nobody was there with a cell phone. Yeah, with George Floyd, there wasn't really any way the police could do that. There were surveillance cameras on streetlights in Minneapolis that captured that. So there was nothing 
the uh-huh. police could do to That's sweep this answer. under the rug. That, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I and, was just curious, and I I, I I didn't mean anything by the question. No, I just no. was curious, like because I'm trying to figure. I mean, reading through the story, yeah, I think it's just like you and I always talk about the things that happened around 9/11, which is a podcast we have to do uh, that that disappeared. I feel like this is one of those. It's a similar situation where June of 2020, people, you know. Yeah. That was a bad time to be a human being anyway. Yeah, it 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 really did just kind of fly under the radar in terms of national attention. And that's one of the reasons we're covering it. There was literally nothing even approaching justice ever done in this case. There was no trial, no arrests, no one's going to jail over it. So there's that. The family is still waiting on justice. So it's a thing that's worth still covering. And one of the reasons we're covering it today is because this is still making news sort of tangentially because of things that are happening in the LA Sheriff's Department. In terms of details, this is every bit as horrifying and insane as the George Floyd murder. It's just that it's not a competition. Like police violence is just a horrifying thing in general. But there are details to this that make like this, this should be a movie. This should 100% be a movie. There are movie twists and turns. There yeah. are, I don't know if heroes is the right word, but people who at least people coming attempt forward to be. Yeah, it's a wild story. So let's talk about it. Andre Guardado, he was 18 years old, a Salvadoran American, lived with his parents in the Koreatown area of Los Angeles. That's a place you don't ever want to have to park. Holy shit. Relax, Adam. It's just Koreatown. What's is this? This is I feel like this is from a movie. Yeah, I think <laughs> I got it. I just heard it from somewhere. once. <laughs> and I say he, he, he was man because he was 18. But let's if you're 18, you're still a, baby. a kid, essentially just a baby. He had just graduated high school. He was attending a technical college, working two jobs, never been in trouble, never arrested by all accounts. Nice kid. And again, he was just a kid. And so let's go through the L.A. Sheriff's Department version of events first in terms of what happened. On June 18th, 2020, and this is according to the L.A. Sheriff's Department, at 5.52 p.m., two L.A. Sheriff's Department officers from the Compton Station, Miguel Vega and Chris Hernandez, were on patrol when they saw Guardado talking to someone in a car that was blocking a driveway. And here's the thing. You Mm -hmm. cannot let a crime like blocking a driveway go unaddressed. No, got to do something. So Vega and Hernandez screech to a halt, and I'm sure in a very chill and calm manner, approach Andres Guardado. And he immediately starts running. And I think this is one of the things that trips people up. Like, I'll just say it, white people. But not just that. Like, people who don't interact with the police the way... People who live in Gardena interact with the police. I think there's always this question of, well, why did he run? If you would have just hung out and answered the questions and kept you cool, none of this would have happened. And it's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around, but sometimes the police are just criminals. If you look into the history of the LAPD and the LA Sheriff's Department and South Central Los Angeles, this is a thing that's been happening for decades. Fuck the Police was released in 1989. And it had been happening for decades before that. So the police. It's the 40s. Yeah. For lack of a better way to put it, the police just hit different in Los Angeles. 
Yeah. It's not a situation where you see the police and you're like, oh, no, I wonder what they want. I hope I answer all of their questions correctly. If you're living in Gardena and you get approached by these police, you know there's a chance you might die. So the answer to why did he run is because you run from the police when they act that way, when your neighborhood is being terrorized by a militarized police force, you fucking run when they come screeching their tires up to you because you're talking to some girls in a car. I have a friend um, who she's, she's a black woman and she's got a kid. that's like same age as my son. And we were talking and she said it, we were, it was mid, it was kind of in the middle of all of this stuff that was happening at that time. And, you know, she was feeling exhausted because everybody was calling her and asking her how to become a more conscious ally and all this shit, you know, and she was just like, I just want to have a drink with someone, but I can't because there's a pandemic. And I was like, I know. And then she said, but I am going to teach my kids to stay away from the cops. (laughs) I was like, there it is. Like, and this is, this is a woman who she's a, she's a grown up woman that does great things in the world. And she's got two beautiful black babies that are the sweetest kids and she worries about this every day and blows it just blows my mind because you know as a mom I just this is such a scary story becoming a mother changed changed how I looked at these stories that whole you know when 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 George Floyd cried out for his mom yeah yeah that whole thing I just it just gets me yeah it's rough and uh so is this Let's uh, get back to what happened. What Miguel Vega claims is that once Guardado started running, conveniently when he was out of the view of anyone else, that's when Miguel Vega claims Andres Guardado pulled a gun, but just kept running, apparently. And eyewitnesses refute that. The chase continues into an alley, at which point witnesses report hearing six or seven shots. And that was the sound of the police shooting at Andres Guardado. And he died on the scene. The family, the community, and a few different LA government agencies were all pretty upset by what happened because it was obvious that things did not occur the way Miguel Vega said they occurred. So everyone's demanding answers. And Alex Villanueva, who, if people aren't familiar, you might not be because he's more of a local figure here in LA. He is a bastard. He is a bad person who covers for bad people who do bad things. And in this case, and I know, I know you can say, well, it's his job. He's supposed to cover his, for, for his people. No, all of these people should be fired. Like none of these people should have these jobs. This isn't his job. Everyone wants answers about what happens. So Alex Villanueva comes out and says, well, the coroner's working on an autopsy right now, and we are not going to let them release that until we have been able to conduct our own internal investigation into what happened. So in the meantime, uh, the coroner at first stands by this. I mean, it's the sheriff. tell Like he's technically a superior telling you to do something. So they stick by it. In the meantime, Guardado's family releases the results of an autopsy they had conducted independently, confirms he was shot five times in the back and a sixth bullet grazed his arm. But it left a detail out, which was the trajectory of the bullets, which I bullets entered his body at a downward trajectory 
through his torso and embedded in his heart. Uh oh. The other four bullets entered at an upward trajectory. Now, if he was shot all five times while he was laying on the ground, all of those bullets are going to go in at an upward trajectory. What this suggests is that he was on his knees when he first got shot in the back. And that's the bullet that travels down. And then he gets shot four more times once he lands face down. And those are the four bullets that travel upward. So I wonder why Alex Villanueva didn't want these autopsy findings released. What is his deal? He's just a bad dude. I know. It just blows my mind. He's just a I mean, I, bad guy. I, I just, it's like out of LA Confidential or something. It really is. It's just very strange that he's a, that this, he's a straight up villain. Yeah. He, he, he's not a good dude. And the thing about the coroner's findings, that all lines up with the claims of one of the very few eyewitnesses who came forward in this case. His name's Andrew Haney. And he is the manager of a business where this shooting occurred. He was interviewed by a local outlet called L.A. Taco, who is great, by the way. They're a newer publication. Uh, They've won a bunch of awards. They do a lot of really good local L.A. reporting. And they covered this story extensively. And we'll link to the reporter's Twitter thread where he posts the videos of this interview with Andrew Haney. And Andrew Haney says... Like he straight up says Guardado got down on his knees, had his hands behind his head, did not have a gun, and they just shot him once while he was on his knees and then four more times when he fell to the ground. He also says on camera, like, again, this is all, uh, and when he says this, you can see the cameras he's talking about behind him, but he claims the LA Sheriff's Department, like minutes after this shooting, just a bunch of them pulled up, destroyed all of the surveillance cameras on the surrounding buildings, and then confiscated the DVR that would have had the recordings from those cameras. So again, I hope he's alive. (laughs) That's the thing. If you poke around in the reporting on this enough, at one point, the coroner calls for an inquest, which uh, we'll get to in a minute. And during that inquest, it comes out that Andrew Haney had since disappeared, which, God, I hope that was like for his own safety, because I'm not going to lie. If I was him, I'd fucking disappear if I could. That's so scary. It is. And I wasn't able to. This is as close to a running gag as I'm going to be able to get for this episode, guys. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't able to find any follow up as to whether this guy ever surfaced. Again, I'm certainly not going to call around and ask questions. I don't want the fucking L.A. Sheriff's Department in my door, man. So, yeah, hopefully Andrew Haney is okay. He was one of the few eyewitnesses in this. And that he had gone missing, like I said, came out during the coroner's inquest. And the thing about a coroner's inquest, very rare. It hadn't happened in L.A. in 30 years. And what it means is basically the coroner disagrees with the police's version of events so hard that they want to do an independent investigation and release their own findings. Very rare. But in this case, it was warranted because the L.A. Sheriff's Department was clearly lying about what happened here. Except, Hmm. again, Hmm. blue, blue wall of silence. Oh, right. What happens when they call this inquest, one... Miguel Vega was conveniently out of the country 
by this point. I'm sure he would have come back if this inquest went a different way. But he was out of the country and he said he was going to plead the fifth anyway. So fine. Chris Hernandez, his partner, he maintained that he wasn't close enough and didn't have the right visual angle to confirm or deny his partner's account. But then also that investigation that Alex Villanueva wanted to have completed before the autopsy results came out, all of the LASD homicide detectives who conducted that investigation all pled the fifth. What the fuck? They were not accused of any crimes. Their whole role in this story was allegedly investigating what happened in the shooting of Andres Guardado. And for some reason they get to this inquest and they're like, Complete the fifth. I want to incriminate myself. And I guarantee you it's because they're probably the ones who destroyed those cameras when they first got on the scene. But after being stonewalled by the LASD, the finding of the inquest was basically Andres Guardado was murdered by someone. Like they couldn't put any new information in it because the LA Sheriff's Department wouldn't talk to them. Wow. And then another eyewitness came forward. Oh, shoot. Natalie Cervantes. She's a 21-year-old single mother. She was in the car that Andres Guardado was interacting with when the police first approached him. Illegally. Yeah, yeah. Blocking a driveway. Mm-hmm. First, she says Guardado did not have a gun. And he, when the police pulled up, he just looked terrified and ran, as people often do when the police pull up. She said he ran into an alley. She heard three shots. And that's when she pulled off. And then she hears three or four more shots. So her version of events differ a whole lot from the L.A. Sheriff's Department. And not long after the shooting, she and we'll link to her interview. It was with a a college newspaper. She claims she was pulled over by L.A. Sheriff's Department officers near her home in Hawthorne, driven to a police station 16 miles away in Lakewood and detained overnight while investigators interviewed her and or tried to get her to change her version of the story, including trying to get her to claim she'd seen Guardado with guns before. And she refused. This is a quote. They tried to come at me stupid, like scientifically, they can prove that's not what happened. They pull quote. <laughs> yeah. After being detained overnight and questioned about this, she was eventually, one, told that she was held on drug charges, but then two, she was just cited for driving on a suspended license when she left the interview. And then three, she went to that court date and turned out they never even filed it. So they didn't even issue that citation. They just wanted to shake her down about this story. So uh, hopefully she's all right. Yeah, I hope she's alive. But also I'm sure she is because again, nothing like if you're hoping this is going to end with (laughs) these two cops coming to justice of some sort, not really. They were suspended, but not for this. And um, they probably still have their jobs. If they don't have their jobs with the LA Sheriff's Department, they're probably working in Albuquerque or somewhere equally corrupt. I'm sure they're still just fine. And then there's the skateboarder. (sighs) This like I I've been quiet in this episode, guys, because it's just <laughs> well, it's just it just keeps getting crazier and crazier as you go along. Yeah. Like this is already nuts. And we haven't even talked about skateboarder. One of the really heartbreaking details of this is there was an incident a few months before Guardado was shot involving Vega and Hernandez that in a perfect world would have probably gotten them kicked off a police force altogether before they ever had a chance to shoot Andres Guardado. This incident happened April 2020. A 24-year-old man named 
Jesus Alegria was hanging out with friends at a skate park in Compton and Vega and Hernandez pull up and they start harassing this group of teens at this skate park. And Alegria shouts at them to leave the kids alone, at which point he and the cops briefly exchange words. And then they just Vega just grabs Alegria's wrist and throws him in the back of their patrol car. Doesn't handcuff him, doesn't put him in a seatbelt, and they just get in and drive off with him. And he says, while they're driving away with him, they tell him that what they're going to do, this is a quote, we're going to get you set up right now. And what they meant was they were going to drive him to a neighborhood that was controlled by one particular gang and drop him on the street and say that he was a member of a rival gang and that people should deal with him accordingly. The California version of a Starlight tour. Yes, basically. they So they were hopefully not going to get him murdered, uh, but probably. And so he starts protesting this, obviously, and they start shouting more insults, telling him to shut up. They say, oh, you're scared now, huh? And fortunately, I guess, I don't know if that's the way to put it, but during this encounter... Vega and Hernandez are driving, and at one point, they see a group of teens riding bikes nearby, and like a fucking cat chasing a laser pointer. They're like, oh shit, there's more people we can fuck with. And they just literally steer their car toward this group of teens riding bikes. And Chris Hernandez gets out and chases four of them on foot. Miguel Vega keeps chasing one of them who stayed on their bike down an alley, and Allegria is in the back seat and he's like, we're going to crash. Like there's, this is a very narrow alley and he's not going to make that wow. opening up there. And sure enough, they crash. Keep in mind, he does not have a seatbelt on. He's not handcuffed. The not handcuffed thing was probably good in this case. Uh, so when this crash happens, his face slams into that steel divider that separates the front and back seat of a cop car. And he notes at this point, uh, Miguel Vega has not called any of this in. He hasn't called in to say yep. he's arrested someone and put them in the back of his car. He hasn't called to say there's any pursuit happening because everything he's doing is a crime and is illegal and not what police are supposed to do. But uh, Allegria makes note of this. And after this crash happens, Miguel Vega gets out and stands on the hood of his car and just starts looking around for the person he was chasing like some movie shit. And Allegria is like, just let me go. Like, you haven't called it in. I'm not going to tell anyone. Just let me go. And somehow that worked. And Miguel Vega let him go. And of course he told. Like, of course you're you're going to tell that this happened. And he told immediately, like right yeah. away. And for some reason, it still took two months before an investigation was launched. Eight months before Vega and Hernandez were suspended for this incident. And in that window of time is when Miguel Vega killed Andres Guardado. So had they been properly punished for this incident, which, I mean, proper punishment here, they should have gone to jail. They kidnapped a guy. Like, they kidnapped a guy and then only let him go because they committed another crime. I just, I don't know what to say. I, there's, there's, yeah, there's, like, there's in cases like this, there's there's nothing to say. Like, it's just so blatantly wrong and corrupt and horrifying. And just the fact that it keeps happening and keeps happening. And Caitlin, but, we are but, not to the craziest part of the I story yet. I know, I was just yet. about to say, what's, I'll save that comment for after what you, for after you say what you're about to say. So 
This story does, against all odds, get crazier. On top of all the other scandals plaguing the LAPD, the LASD, just law enforcement in general, turns out the LA Sheriff's Department has a huge gang problem. And by that, I don't mean they're having problems combating gang violence. No, it's that there are criminal gangs within the LA Sheriff's Department. A whole bunch of them, dating back decades and decades. We did an Unpops episode about it a while back. I'll link to it in the show notes. And that episode was based on something else we'll link to, which is a investigative journalism series on a site called Knock LA, written by a woman named Cerise Castle. And it goes into a lot of detail about the history of violent criminal gangs operating within the LA Sheriff's Department. It is a massive series. There are, I think, more than 20 different articles she covers, I think, 18 different gangs that either are still operating or all have operated within the L.A. Sheriff's Department at some point. And so far, Alex Villanueva's main answer to this, the thing that reminded me of this story, is a story just came out last week where he has reached out to city officials because he's very angry that they keep referring to the gangs within the L.A. Sheriff's Department as gangs. He doesn't want them referred to as gangs because oh. that's just, again, bowing to public pressure to call these right. groups something that they're not. And it's like, okay. well, what the fuck are they then? Yeah. And what's especially disturbing about these gangs in relation to Andres Guardado is one of these gangs is called the Executioners. They are based out of the Compton Sheriff's Department station. Very, very chill vibe there. Very, very. And that group was first called to the world's attention by way of a whistleblower named Ostreberto Gonzalez, who was also... Good thing his name is really easy to say. Yeah. Well, I, th- I didn't put it in there, but they call him Art. Uh, but fuck it. I can pronounce Ostreberto. I'm just, I just always think it's funny when a whistleblower has a complicated name. And it's he was a neat little nugget of irony. That's I guess just for me. He was also an LA County Sheriff's deputy. So again, yes, there are good cops. There yes, are, there are good there cops are. like Ostroberto Gonzalez who came I, forward I just, and I get so exhausted by it's an, it's not, it's not, it's not practical to say that we don't need help keeping society together and to keep bad people from doing bad things. Okay. What's heartbreaking is this happening on, on, it's like, it takes away a community's ability to trust that they're safe. Oh, absolutely. And then that kind of paranormal, sorry, that paranoia and mania builds and then everybody's gaslighted and then shit like this happens. It's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Even going back to fuck the police, that famous NWA song, there's a bit in that that song it's just a a really quick spoken word line i think it's dr dre who says people in high crime areas view the police as a threat yeah and yeah that's what it is because the police are a threat like if you have a disconnect in your head between your version of what the police are and this version of what the police are it's because you don't live where this version of the police operates and you're just going to have to take people's word for it, that it is every bit as bad as they make it out to be and stop with the fucking, not all cops stop with the, my uncle was a cop and he was a nice guy. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Does not fucking diminish what's happening in cases like this one bit. And one, one, one time is bad enough. One time period. 
one time. You can't argue that. Like it, it can't, you can't argue it. Like it's unacceptable yeah. for it to have happened once. This isn't the only time. I mean, the whole point of us covering this is that so much of this was happening at the time that this story got buried. And we still, we're still not done. That's the crazy part, Adam. What happens next? When Gonzalez comes forward with this claim about this gang operating within the sheriff's, the Compton Sheriff's Office, uh, the executioners, one, he says they all sport matching tattoos that feature a bunch of, a bunch of Nazi imagery and AK-47s. This is a quote from one of the court filings. Members become inked as executioners after executing members of the public or otherwise committing acts of violence in furtherance of the gang. He also said they would celebrate afterward with a 998 party. That is the penal code for an officer-involved shooting. And what that has to do with this case is, according to Art Gonzalez, Miguel Vega and Chris Hernandez were what they call prospective executioners, meaning they were L.A. Sheriff's Department officers who wanted to be in this gang. They just hadn't committed the requisite murders to get in. And his claim is that Miguel Vega was, quote, chasing ink when he killed Andres Guardado. And by that, he means he was trying to get his executioner's gang tattoo. And that's why this child was murdered. Anyway, I next week. I don't, I, I don't even have a tattoo. So I, there's so many reasons why I don't agree with that. Yeah, I'm not a tattoo person. And that's it's like bottom of the bottom of the list of reasons why the I disagree le- with the, all the that. Least- Least of it. And least yeah, of it. This isn't this isn't conspiracy theory. This isn't conjecture. This is, this is all we'll link to so many articles, so many stories. This is public information. Everyone knows about this. It's just for some reason not the national news it deserves to be. But the LA Sheriff's Department has criminal gangs within their ranks who literally murder people for fun and sport. So that's why people run. When they get approached by the police. I need to. So, uh. I need to take a bath or something. I don't know. What kind of wacky jacks are we talking about next week? We're doing something paranormal next week. We got to talk about another Robert movie. I I, I need a ghost doll, like, stat. What if we look it up and it's like Robert fights Black Lives Matter? No! God damn it, Robert. Damn it, Rob. You know what, though? Robert would. He would. He would. What a piece of shit. He is in Florida. He is. That doll has white supremacist painted all over his fucking face. He's got just a a woman with barrel bangs tending after all of his weird haunted doll needs in Key West, Florida, as we speak. Yes. So, yeah, we'll link. I don't I don't know what to tell people. Well, I just just... like I don't know what to tell people either. Just keep the story alive like this family Deserves justice, obviously, and it hasn't happened yet. And if people just forget this ever happened, they will never get that justice. So uh, just doing what we can to keep it on the world's radar. And uh, ACAB, everybody. Uh, is it? I don't know. I don't I have such a weird feeling about ACAB. It just feels like, I don't know. It just feels so nihilistic. <laughs> so do the police. Oh, yeah, so does everything right now. Yeah. It's So yeah, know. just read read more about this. We'll link to it. And uh if if you if you grew up with a really romanticized vision of what the police do. That I'm happy dismantling. Yeah. I think that's silly. And here's the thing, it might even be accurate where you lived. And if so, yeah. 
good for you. Like, then, that's, but just do us the favor of looking into Los Angeles and Orange County police because that's they're their own problem. Yeah, the they are essentially a military. Like they are California's de facto military. They're the city military. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Good times. So, uh, do we have anything to plug before we? Get out of here. Just go do something nice for someone, please. Go do something I, good. I, Don't be a racist I, fuck. I just try. I, I don't know. I mean, every time we cover something like this, I, I get so angry and I get so sad and I, I feel powerless. And um, I'm sure you do too. And if you made it to the end of this episode, thank you for listening to this because I think you're honoring what this poor kid's family is going through right now. Yeah. And I just, just go Go put something good in the world. It sounds so cheesy, but I believe it's like how you get this out of your body and how we can like all stay focused and try to keep good things moving forward. Because if you just marinate in this shit all day, it's it's not going to help either. So just try to t- transmute this into something good today, please. I, I know I will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I'm I this is a humdinger I, of a sode. I gotta tell you, I was looking through these notes last night and I was like, I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> I said I I very rarely feel that way about uh a story that you know, recording with my friend Adam, but occasionally we do these and I'm just like, God damn it, this is like Yeah, we've we've taken a real turn with the last couple free episodes. Ruby Ridge and now this. <laughs> Ruby. Do we have anything gonna- to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, don't trust any of your government institutions. <laughs> uh, beyond that, patreon.com slash unpops. We're going to do something paranormal for the next free episode. We'll do something wacky. We'll do something fun. Okay? Yeah. We, we will. We'll figure it out. We'll yuck It'll it be up. Good. We'll yuck it up we'll yuck next it up. time on the free episode. We, Until we then, you can always- one. Yeah, you could always subscribe and hear us have fun next week. But We have fun on all the Patreon episodes, yeah. people. Until then, you're just going to have to sit in this feeling for a couple weeks until we yeah, just put something else out for free. Sit, sit with it as your meditation teacher would tell you to do. Speaking, we got a, we got a surprise coming for people. We're going to be putting yeah, a do. thing out. That yeah, ooh, we have a good surprise coming, man, but we're not, te- we're not telling you We're not yet. telling you yet, but it's coming. And I think people are going to be pretty excited. Subscriber I- and non-subscriber alike. Yeah, this is going to be very fun. Very, very fun. But until then, this was not fun. Uh, But it's always fun recording with you, Caitlin. Hey, Adam, you know I love you. I love you. Uh, (laughs) And this, oh, this was a bummer. Uh, Do we, uh, we plugged everything? We're done. We're done, done, right? Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.